Welcome to the Who's Hooping Podcast, hosted by Sean Crow and Kari Williams, where we discuss all things UVA men's basketball. We look forward to breaking down the current team, what's to come in the future, as well as some of our favorite and toughest Wahoo moments. We plan to give you guys the content you love to hear, whether you're a diehard fan that's been around forever, or you just found out about the team this past week. So stick around, lay back, and listen to two average guys tell you all about it. Welcome back to the Who's Hooping Podcast, hosted by Kari Williams and Sean Crow. I'm Kari, joined today with my co-host Sean Crow, and we are looking forward to kicking off some awesome action about UVA basketball for you guys today. Sean, how you doing? Pretty good, Kari. Hope you had a good Thanksgiving, and uh, yeah, definitely looking forward to talking more UVA basketball with you. There's lots to talk about. Yeah, no, Thanksgiving was awesome. It's been a great time to be back with family. Uh, caught an awesome UVA game the other day on Friday, but yeah, tons to cover. Uh, we know it's been a while since we've last done this. I want to say maybe it's been about two weeks. Quite a few things have been going on, but glad to get back on the pod with you and really just break down what the who's been up to. Definitely, definitely. So I think the the first thing we wanted to do is just take a moment to acknowledge the, the tragic shooting that occurred with the uh, members of the football team. Um, I think it was about two weeks ago now on a on a Sunday night. And, uh, yeah, certainly, you know, worst nightmare um, for any parent, teammate, uh, UVA fan, really anyone, anyone connected to this tragedy, um, UVA alum. Um, yeah, I mean, it was kind of unfolding late at night, and I started to, you know, get some, get some news, you know, through, like, Twitter and, and different platforms. And I, you know, was just thinking, this, this can't be real. Um, and, you know, certain things are bigger than sports, so we just wanted to take a moment to, to start this podcast and just, uh, you know, say that our, our hearts are with the, the victims and their families and their teammates. Um, and, yeah, just take a moment for reflection. Um, you know, I think we've seen the UVA community come together in response to this, which has been uh, really great to see and much needed. But, um, but yeah, we're, we're definitely hurting and we're, we're thinking of the victims and their families, so. Anything else you wanted to say about Cardi? Yeah, I think it was just it was a tough Sunday going into Monday. I know it happened Sunday night, so um, I feel like a lot of people like me spent their entire Monday just scrolling through Twitter, getting any insights you could, um, trying to learn more about it. And I know there's still a lot to unfold, still a lot of um, information that we're all looking for, and just a lot of hurt that the community's trying to recover from. But yeah, just prayers out to those families, and just a tragic, tragic event. I think it's coming from me and Sean as former students at UVA graduating in 2018. Um, the community has definitely had to rally together quite a bit, but I think back to that, uh, I think it was maybe an ESPN ad, but nothing unites us more like sports and just looking back to that uh, first game against Baylor when we played in Vegas and just how excited everyone was to see UVA doing well. The women's team had some games. I think they played the Wednesday after the tragedy. Um, just It was a great week of everyone just rallying behind the sports community, especially since this tragedy impacted a really big part of the uh, UVA athletic com- athletic community. So just once again, prayers and thoughts out to those families. I know that gets said all the time and said way too much, but truly do mean it and really do hope that the community continue to build and recover. But as we were saying, nothing unites us more like sports and really want to talk about that weekend in Vegas, that first Baylor game, which is incredible for getting everyone hyped up and, um, 
there's never an easy way to transition in from uh, acknowledgments and then trying to get condolences into a sports podcast, but we're going to do our best. So bear with us as we dive into it. But Sean, I'll pass it back over to you. You were actually in Vegas. Uh, tell us about how it was just being in the arena, not necessarily from the sports part of it so far, but just being around other UVA fans, being in person, the moments of silence that were held, just what was kind of the, I guess, environment like for you out there? Oh yeah. The, the camaraderie was awesome. Um, I attended a UVA pregame event, uh, one of those official like UVA club put together events um, before the Baylor game. And yeah, the sense of community there was great. Uh, I think everyone was, you know, looking to maybe mourn together, but also have a reason to um, celebrate. And the basketball team definitely provided that to us. Um, you know, the, the moment of silence was very touching uh, at the UVA pregame, they also were passing out stickers that said Eternal Wahoos, and it had the numbers, uh, 115 and 41. Um, and then the, the basketball team warm-ups, you know, they had the, the player last names as a tribute on the back of the, um, back of the warm-up shirts. And then um, I know we got to talk about Baylor first, but uh, one thing I noticed in the Illinois game, which I was also at, was that uh, the Illinois team was actually wearing the UVA warm-up shirts that said UVA strong. So that was, that was really cool to see. And I think, um, yeah, other teams um, throughout college athletics had done a great job of uh, supporting UVA and being here for them during this uh, difficult time. So I definitely saw some, some class acts from the other fan bases out there. Um, and, you know, we even have seen Virginia tech be like very supportive um, throughout all this. So, Definitely a lot of touching tributes. Um, and then, yeah, transitioning to kind of the basketball in Vegas. Um, it was really exciting for sure. I was seated in the UVA section. There were not a whole ton of Baylor fans there. So for the UVA-Baylor matchup, uh, it felt like we had the kind of home field advantage, so to say. Um, Illinois, on the other hand, was a totally different story. The arena was probably 80% Illinois fans. But uh, all in all, just a – very exciting weekend of basketball and uh you know really in the wake of tragedy the UVA basketball team could not have represented us better so definitely a lot to be happy about and yeah very exciting tournament yeah well glad to hear all the other communities and fan bases were definitely just pouring their hearts out for UVA as well too and it was great to see our team come away with some victories to really help uh just help give the community something to celebrate but Diving into it, we'd love to get some of your takes on just how the game went. Uh, to be completely honest, I was able to catch a lot more of the second half. I uh, was off coaching a high school basketball game, so missed the first half. But once the locker room was done, um, walked away from the team, was able to see that we were up by 20 at one point. It was just absolutely floored and blown away to think about this Baylor game. I know we were going through our early season predictions in our last episode. I actually predicted that Baylor would probably be one of those defeats based on they're just really talented pool of guards and a lot of the talent they were bringing back and some of the pressure they were able to bring. But from the part I was able to just catch for that second half, UVA was able to withstand that pressure, have that hot shooting. Um, but similar to the uh, UNC game in the Elite Eight, uh, we saw Baylor pressure really eat into that lead. We ended up winning 86 to 79, but to have a 20 point lead just a part of me was a little nervous that it would get into overtime and get a little close. They got super close to overcoming that deficit against UNC. And I was just really worried about uh, 
if they could turn 30 into overtime, what could they turn a 20 point lead into? So as the pressure started to pick up and some of those turnovers or missed shots started to amount, definitely was a little nervous, but glad to see us eke it out. But yeah, I'd love to get your takes on how was it for the full 40 minutes and seeing it in person. Yeah, definitely. So the, the first half was very neck and neck. It was kind of like heavyweight punches being thrown back and forth. Um, neither team was really able to separate themselves, but man, Baylor, they have a really talented trio of guards and um, Keontae George, who's a, you know, projected one and done lottery pick LJ Cryer and Adam Flagler. And those guys all had pretty good days shooting the ball. And I think for me, one of the things that was most encouraging is the fact that we were able to come out with the win despite getting out rebounded and despite Baylor having a, a pretty darn good day shooting the ball from, from deep. So those are things that kind of in the past you would think might be the recipe for a loss, but uh, second half was just super exciting. Um, Armand Franklin had the game of his career. He had 26 points, 9 of 10 from the free throw line, uh, 3 of 6 from 3. He, he just looked so poised and confident out there. Um, and really, it was a complete team effort. Vanderplas was very steady in this game with 14 points, um, and I think he's kind of making a early case that he could be ACC sixth man of the year potentially. Um, but yeah, with the team with that many guards that kind of has the recipe to give uh, UVA teams trouble in the past, it was just really exciting to kind of have UVA assert themselves on the national stage and just bring home a, a huge win. So yeah, they went on a massive run in the second half and the fan base was all excited for sure. Um, Baylor applied the pressure and, and, whittled the lead back down, but you always knew a team as talented and competitive as Baylor would, would make a run in the second half. So all in all, I was very pleased with the performance, very pleased to see that there's a bit of bend don't break down the end, but they, they hung tough in the end. They, they made their free throws shot 27 to 35 there. And, and yeah, so I was very, very excited and encouraged by this performance against Baylor. Yeah. I mean, Echoing all the things that you were saying, definitely a big fan over here of BVP. Just if you look across the box scores, the different things that he does. Um, some games he's our top rebounder, some games he's our top scorer, some games he doesn't really take any shots, but just play as well if you watch it on TV. Just a, I guess for lack of a better word, just a super talented glue guy. He just does what you need, but does what you need really, really, really well. So, um, Baylor win, incredible to see. Um, and then, yeah, once again, shout out to Baylor's just trio in the backcourt with Keontae George, LJ Cryer, and Adam Flagler. It'll be a super dangerous team. Um, would love to not see them again come March. Uh, have all the faith in the Who's, but they'll definitely be a team that's going to be a dangerous one. So I'm sure we'll have to face them at some point again in the future. But for now, glad we walked away with the win. And shout out to Flo Thamba for having one of the best names in college basketball. <laughs> Absolutely. Awesome. Well, moving on to the Illinois game, uh, the championship main event for us to walk home with the championship belt. I had no clue that was actually the trophy they gave out. Thought that was awesome to see all the guys uh, just celebrating with the uh, giant belt. It was a great photo of Reese uh, with the championship belt around his waist, looking awesome. Uh, but UVA, we came out of this film at the heavyweight champions of the world. So the belt definitely was uh, well-deserved and fit the analogy perfectly. But UVA walked away with a 70-61 to 61 victory against Illinois. 
Um, some quick flash stats on that for the championship game. Reese Beekman had an awesome game being our leading scorer with 17 points. Um, following up from that, we also had 12 points from Kihei Clark and Jaden Gardner. So that main trio you talk, you tend to see from last year's box scores, once again, showing up and uh, delivering the goods for UVA. But yeah, Sean, how was the Illinois game on the ground? Oh man, this one was, you can't really explain um, unless you were there in person, just how much support Illinois had, like their, their fans traveled incredibly well. So this environment was just very, it was exactly what you wanted in a college basketball game. So we were definitely outnumbered as fans, but their fans really brought the energy and it made for a really fun atmosphere. Um, And uh, yeah, I mean, this entire game was just so tight. Like up until the end, I don't think either team had a lead bigger than six. So the whole game was just very, very back and forth. And, you know, these types of games make you battle-tested come March. So once again, I think it'll yield great benefits for our team in the end. But uh, some takeaways from this game, Terrence Shannon Jr., very talented guard uh, from Illinois, who is projected to be a, I think, another first-round pick. Um, He transferred from Texas Tech, and he's one of the nation's leading scorers so far this year. But the key takeaway was that uh, Reese Beekman made his evening very, very difficult. Um, He only had nine points, one of five shooting from three, uh, four of ten overall, um, and he fouled out of the game and had six turnovers. So Reese did an incredible job defending him. Um, And then from from our side offensively, uh, we saw, you know, another really good game from Reese. Uh, He ended up taking home – uh, the tournament uh, player of the tournament, most viable player. Um, so that was, you know, his kind of announcement that like, oh, I'm here to stay. Like, you know, he, he really seems that he's – we're getting a confident Reese this year, and he seems like he's really taking that next step, which is what UVA fans love to see. But, yeah, this was just another heavyweight battle that in the end we we had a, f- a few key stops and um, – made some shots and free throws down the end. So another great win and just a capped off an excellent tournament where UVA probably as of now has the most impressive resume in terms of best wins so far this early in the year across the country. Yeah. I'd have to agree with you. And then it was kind of interesting. This definitely was a heavyweight matchup, but it felt more like almost a trading of jabs and seeing who could outpoint each other towards the end. There wasn't a lot of like huge plays here or there in terms of this, put them up 10 and try to put them under, or this one was a huge swing. A lot of it was which team could stay steady, which team could take the best shots. Um, one of the things that was of concern for the Who's was that this was the first game where they actually didn't shoot it very well from three. Um, the final stat line for three for the Who's was five of 17. Um, we had some good individual performances from Kihei Clark shooting two of four, Isaac McNeely coming into the game and hitting one three, shooting one for two. But some of the things that were a bit tougher to see was um, Franklin, who had been shooting pretty hot up until this point, shooting one for five. Um, Reese ended up being one for three. And then uh, BVP ended up being zero for three. Once again, I come back to him, though, he did have 10 rebounds at eight points. So even when he's not doing what you want to do sometimes, still finds a way to be a huge contributor. So I'll let him slide a little bit. But the shooting, we'll talk about that as we kind of go on. But this was that first glimpse into, uh, oh, this team shot a bit more similarly to the UVA team of past. 
but they still had that grinded out factor that's always been a big part of Tony Bennett's teams. And I think what was really awesome to see in this game uh, was just how hard they competed towards the end. Um, Illinois, a big change for them, I think, was when Dane Danger, getting back to Flo Thamba and best names in college basketball, I think Dane Danger needs to be up there as well too. But he came in as a sub and then just really took over towards the end of that game. I know the stat line may not show it with him only having five points, but those six rebounds, the way he was able to be a presence on the boards, the way he was able to make it tough defensively, I think that was – Illinois' big chess move that I thought might make a huge difference for them going down the stretch. But then when Illinois started to make their runs or started to uh, push a little bit ahead, I think that's when Reese shut the door down. This is my time to shine. I was able to be the best defensive player on the floor, had some huge dunks, great finishes, an awesome and one. I think the big statement was, I believe there was a, uh, I think, I'm trying to remember what, what the score was at that point in time, but he definitely tried to put someone on a mean poster. <laughs> Ended up missing the dunk, but got the two free throws. But I think that was the statement of everyone just eyes popping and saying, oh, this is the Reese Beekman we're going to get. Um, or excuse me, Reese Beekman we're going to get, then uh, a lot of teams are going to be in trouble with the ACC this year. So overall, just to kind of highlight the event down in Vegas, just great, great, great showing from the UVA team. We showed we could get it done from the three-point line, the Baylor game, and just shoot well with nine of 14 from the three-point line 27 made free throws which is absolutely insane for a college basketball game and then on the flip side going over into the illinois game showing that we were able to do it shooting five of 17 one thing that as i check the box scores now that this team's starting to show a lot of is they did a good job from the free throw line um we shot 77 percent in the baylor game 78 percent in the illinois game and then between the two games 27 free throws against Baylor, 25 free throws against Illinois. When you're getting a chance to score 25 points, no time coming off the clock, 10 seconds each shot for you to be able to relax, shoot it as calmly without duress as possible, those are free points that I think if UVA can continue to get to the foul line, we have really good free throw shooters. Um, so I hope to, I hope we keep that aspect of our team going forward as the season continues on. Absolutely. Awesome. And then, Sean, I guess we can just brush over it a little bit. Uh, we wrap up the Vegas trip, and then we then head back home to JPJ for our first game since the tragic shooting. Um, neither of us were there in person, but from what I was able to see, it seems like it was a really awesome Friday night environment, especially just being around family time and Thanksgiving. It was a really great time for people to be there. I know people wanted to be in the UVA community to support the team, but... Um, Looking back at that game, another huge win for the Hoos. This one, a bit more expected. Uh, I think both of us, in terms of our predictions, expected this to be a W. But for the final score, UVA 72, and then Maryland Eastern Shorehawks 45. So, Sean, any big takeaways from this game? Yeah, you know, I didn't get to watch a whole lot of this one, so I, I can't really say too much. But one thing that, just looking at the box score, very encouraging to see is that Jaden Gardner had his best game of the young season. Um, you know, last year, UVA fans got used to Jaden Gardner being our, our go-to guy. Uh, we kind of ran the offense through him last year. Um, and then so far early on this year, he's been kind of struggling to find his way a little bit, I'd say, in the new offense. Just kind of getting used to, you know, sharing minutes with BVP, uh, playing less minutes than he used to, not being as much the focal point of the offense. So it was really good to see him have such a good game yesterday where he was 12 of 15 shooting, 26 points, team's leading scorer. Uh, he was able to raise his uh, season average for scoring uh, quite substantially with this performance up to like 11, I think now. So 
it was good to see Gardner get back on track. And really that's kind of my main takeaway from this game. Yeah. Uh, as you were saying, Gardner with this one huge performance uh, shot all the way up to our second leading score right behind Franklin at 11.4 points per game. But yeah, I think the biggest takeaway for me from this game, um, once again, it's one of those games where your team's supposed to win. It doesn't really give you much from the team winning. You usually learn point if your team loses these types of games. But I think the biggest takeaway for me was that our shooting honestly wasn't great this game. The box score says 5 of 15, but if you watch the game, we were 2 of 12 until the very final minutes of the game. Um, Isaac Penelli came in and made two threes down the stretch, and then Chase Coleman hit a big one. Uh, but I think the score was 63, and those were actually our last three baskets of the game. So for 35 minutes of game time, we were shooting – we had two made threes and coming off the Illinois game where we shot five of 17, uh, it starts to put us at this bit of a, uh, not impasse, but that weird spot of, we got three games of us shooting the ball extremely well. We have two games of us shooting the ball. Not so well for most teams. I think you'd probably lean more towards the three versus the two. But as we look back at last year's team, this was not a great three point shooting team last year. We also, as we talked about in the last podcast, we returned a ridiculous amount of our offense and a ridiculous amount of our roster. So you start to get in your head a little bit about, is this actually the two games of poor shooting? Are these just flukes? Or is this kind of more of us coming back down to earth about where we actually need to be expecting our three-point shooting to be? And 33%, not bad by any means. Pretty run-of-the-mill average. But when you're seeing stat lines of like 9 of 14 or even just – eight of 15, some of those like 40% shots or 40% shooting performances. That's when you start to get really excited about a team's three point percentage. Uh, so hopefully we can creep more towards those high percentages. But I think what it really showed was that Isaac Neely, great shooter. The rest of the guys still have a little bit of work to do, but in terms of overall stat line, we'll see how this balances out. We have Michigan coming up on Tuesday. So that'll be a really big test against another really strong power five opponent. But on the season we have, Ryan Dunn shooting 66% from three. He hasn't taken many, so we can probably put an asterisk, asterisk next to that one. But Reese is shooting 50% above from three. Isaac Neely shooting right at 50. BVP 46. And then Kihei and Franklin shooting at 42 plus. So individual performances, really great. So hopefully we are trending more towards those great shooting nights and not what we saw the last two games. But coming off of these three games in Vegas... I uh, just want to take a look at the last five games, Sean. So we've had a really, honestly, surprising season thus far. I think if you asked even these biggest of UVA fans, I don't think any of us would have predicted we would have been the number five team as of today, Saturday, with us likely sliding into that number three spot come Monday due to a UNC and Kansas loss. So, Sean, what has been your biggest surprise from the season thus far? Yeah, I mean, I don't know if I necessarily say it's a surprise, but perhaps my biggest positive development is just how confident and assertive Reese looks out there. Um, you know, particularly he's, he's willing to let it fly from three this year in a way that we haven't seen his first two years in the program. He just looks so confident and his three point shot looks much more fluid than what we had seen going into this year. Um, I also think that we've seen Reese a lot more confident and assertive uh, driving to the basket. You know, I don't have the stats of, like, usage rate in front of me, but I would have to imagine his usage rate is a lot higher this year. So, for me, the biggest positive development, and I don't think I'd say it's necessarily a surprise because 
I think most UVA fans saw this potential in Reese from the beginning and kind of expected him to take this leap. But it would have to be, for me, the, uh, the leap that Reese so far this year appears to be taking. Yeah, I don't have the stats in front of me either, but I do know there was a tweet going around showing Reese trending up around 24, 25% for usage, which was a pretty large uptake from what he was doing a season ago. So um, I think a lot of people having that big takeaway of Reese Beekman is really trying to assert himself this season. It's been really awesome to see. And I guess on my side, if I had to pick what I would say has been a really pleasant surprise, I would say the diversity within this team. If you look across our five games so far, we've had four different leading scores between Franklin, McNeely, Beekman, and Gardner. We've had four different leaders in rebounding between Gardner, Shedrick, Franklin, Vanderplas. And then we've also had a really steady amount of assists coming from both Kihei and Reese. Uh, right now, they're both tied at 5.2 assists leading the team. I believe they're both top five, definitely top 10, but they might both be top five in assists for the ACC. Uh, so Really just, it's been awesome to see that we can get it done in a lot of different ways. And I think that's something we didn't have last season. Last season, if Kihei and Reese weren't shooting the ball well and Jaden Gardner didn't have his mid-range touch going, we still weren't sure how um, Caden was going to perform. We still weren't really sure how we could get Franklin to shoot the ball well. As you mentioned, he was great with a one dribble pull up or a step into the three-point line, but we had a lot of pieces that we needed to figure out in offense, whereas this year it feels like Tony Bennett's playing with a full just chess set of where does he want to move pieces around? If certain guys aren't hitting this night, how do we get them into certain pieces? And I think, as I mentioned before, Ben Vanderplas has been a great example of this. Some nights he's a great scorer. Some nights he's a great shooter. Some nights he's doing the dirty work getting boards. Some nights he's just a really solid glue guy setting the re setting the screens, helping run the offense and doing his part. Um, I think we'll have a lot more of the guys doing that. I think Isaac Neely has been a great just role player where he comes in, shoots the ball when he needs to, doesn't get too outside of himself. I know against some of the tougher opponents, he didn't see the same minutes or the same production as he saw early on in those uh, easier challenges. But really, it just seems like Tony Bennett has a lot of pieces he gets to play with this year. And it'll be fun to see how we take those pieces and put them against a challenge such as Michigan. And then I think everyone on the UPA side is starting to get a little happy and looking forward to that uh, potential top five matchup against Houston. So hopefully we can stay humble and take care of business first and really just use these puzzle pieces the best way possible to continue to keep this positive trend going. But I know we talked about a lot of the positives. Um, we got to keep things going on both sides and make sure the debate's flowing. So Sean, what would you say has been the biggest disappointment this far in the season or what you haven't been thrilled to see? Yeah, so I guess, you know, definitely before last night's game, I would have said how Gardner is fitting into this team's offense. Um, it just seems like a bit of a clunky fit this year. Um, he's kind of seemed a little unconfident at times. Like he, he, he airballed a free throw in Vegas, which was, you know, definitely surprising to see. Um, but he did, of course, rebound with a very strong performance last night. Um, so I think maybe that's still an evolving piece that we're kind of working on so far early in the season is kind of getting Gardner in the flow of the new offense. Um, you know, with so many more shooters this year, we're kind of running a more perimeter-based offense this year, whereas last year we were running things through him a lot more. Um, so I'd say that's something that I think is still a work in progress is kind of getting the best out of Jaden Gardner in this uh, year's offense. I would also just add maybe 
Another minor disappointment is just that uh, Tane Murray has not been able to establish himself consistently with getting minutes. Um, we knew that the rotation was going to be very competitive this year. Um, but, you know, I think there were some reasons to be fairly excited about Tane Murray. Um, you know, he kind of gave us a little glimpse of his potential last year in that Iowa game. Um, but so far this year, he seems to have, for the most part, uh, been overtaken by Ryan Dunn for that kind of ninth spot in the rotation. And, you know, Ryan Dunn has shown a lot of exciting things, definitely excited for his future and the fact that he's getting minutes. But at the same time, a bit um, a bit disappointed for Tane Murray. And, you know, he just doesn't seem like he's been able to shoot the ball to the level that he needs to because uh, I think that's his main skill set and the main thing that he's expected to bring to the table. Obviously, small sample size, so we'll see what comes with more shots. But so far early in the season, um, he hasn't really been able to make the case for more playing time. Yeah, I think it's been tough to see uh, just a shooter not being able to really shoot the ball. And, like, you want to see these guys do well. I mean, they're all great kids, and they all want to see the floor, and they all come to UVA hoping to get a great education and really being a part of a great program. So it is tough to see guys not perform up to their ability. Um, I would say, for me, what's been tough to see is uh, – Cafaro, I know he had to miss the game against Mom because he had that awesome opportunity to go play for his national team, but I was really hoping to see him getting more minutes. I know in my minutes projection, I put him a little higher than his 10 he's getting right now, but I think there were some games last year where Cafaro really showed some flashes of being a really dominant paint presence, um, and it's been tough to see him not really break the rotation because I think no fault of his own, but he's always been what we've known he's going to be. I don't think I've ever really had a game where I said, oh, Cafaro let me down a lot. He does what he's expected to, and I think plays within himself, but kind of goes into a positive of Shedrick doing a lot of the being a dominant force in the paint, being a good rim protector, and really just having an awesome season thus far. So to me, not necessarily Kafaro playing himself out of the rotation, but a player just doing awesome that requires him to continue to have more minutes. And then Vanderplaz and then Jaden Gardner bringing a different element that also need to get their minutes as well, too. So just not enough of the pie to go around. So tough to see it happen to a guy where it feels like he's done what he's expected to and just hasn't been able to really crack the rotation. But besides that, I would say for the last two games in terms of shooting performance, I think we all got really hyped up to see, oh, UVA shooting threes and launching them and then to have two games back-to-back of us coming back down to earth with 5-15 and 15 and then 5-17. and 17. Uh, Makes you a little disappointed to see that the good times didn't keep rolling from behind the three-point line. But the wins have come in, and that's been huge. But I think the biggest thing, Sean, I'd love to get your take on, and actually I think I might have a different spot on you for this, is who do you think has been the most important player for the last five games? And not just the last five games, but what we've seen so far. Who will be the most important player for this team to be as successful as possible and reach their ceiling this season? Yeah, so fair warning, I don't know your answer to this, so I don't know if we're going to have the same or different answers. So we'll see how this shakes out. But for me, it's definitely Armand Franklin. And uh, he could have been my answer for biggest surprise, but I didn't really want to talk about him for two of these questions. But for me, it's without a doubt Armand Franklin. Um, I think early on this year, uh, we've seen how confident he looks um, and how well, for the most part, that he's shooting the ball. Um, he's shooting 43 or no, 42% early in the year. And, um, you know, last year he was brought in 
as a three-point shooter, expected to kind of take the load off of Reese and Kihei. And I think a lot of the offensive struggles that we uh, saw last season, you know, you don't want to peg it on any one player or anything, but we were expecting Armand to bring a lot of floor spacing and I think uh, take a lot of the pressure off of Reese and Kihei. And I think just with him not really being able to shoot the ball at a high level from deep last year, I think that kind of put a lot more pressure on Reese and Kihei and perhaps led to their fit being a bit clunky at times because we didn't have that that spacer, that shooter, to kind of spread the floor and take the load off them a bit. Um, but if Armand Franklin can keep playing at the level that he's playing at right now, I think you're looking at an all-ACC-type season from Armand Franklin. Um, he, in my opinion, has been the – the biggest improvement uh, from last year to this year um, and probably the team's best and most important player uh, through five games. So if he can just, it might be unrealistic to expect him to keep playing quite this well, but if he can even give us like 80% of this, I will be very thrilled. Um, So yeah, I've got Armand Franklin as most important player. And I'll also say that he's looked really good on defense as well. So a lot, I'm liking a lot of what I'm seeing from Armand early in the year. True. I think I would have agreed with you for the first three games, but uh, after these last two, at least played poorly, but uh, after these last two games, that might be as hot of a take as when I came on strong about me loving Kihei and Reese in the backcourt, which so far I think has been proven to be pretty effective thus far. Um, I know in the Illinois game, it may have been a little bit of a challenge, but so far Reese and Kihei in the backcourt together doing really well. So I'm going to keep reminding everyone that Called it here first, and I'm sticking to it thus far in the season. I think Armand's been really awesome so far this season. I think he's been having a bit more of a microwave approach almost, where those first three games was just extremely on fire, incredibly, incredibly great, just scoring performances, getting it done from the free throw line, from behind the arc, getting to the cup, just doing it in a bunch of different ways. But these last two games, um, Friday night's game, he walked away with five points. The game before that against Illinois, um, he walked away with, I believe it was nine, and then one of five from shooting, one from three, four of 12 overall, and then in Friday night's game, two of six, one of four from behind the arc. So over his last two games, shooting two of nine. So Hopefully, um, getting back to my shooting woes, I've been discussing the Armon of the first three games is the Armon we're going to get for the whole season versus these last two. And that's what I think is going to be a big breaking point. On my side, I think a lot of this UVA team, the benefit you get of bringing 80% of your team back and a lot of that offense is you know what you're going to get and you know what you can expect, and you know what your floor is a lot of the times. You shouldn't be any worse than last season. If anything, you should be better when you bring back that much talent and that many players. Um, so we knew what Kihei was going to be. We knew what um, Jaden Gardner was going to be. We all had a good feeling Reese is going to break out, and I think the way Reese has broken out this season, it hasn't been in ways that no one expected. He's been more assertive, which people have been calling for, because we want more assertiveness from him. We want to see him shoot the ball more often. The percentages are a little higher than what I would have expected, but in terms of the way he's affecting the game, it's on the defensive side. It's on him being a good ball handler, him making good decisions, and him becoming more of a threat on offense, and they're all being done in ways that look they look like ways that you could have expected from him last year. The biggest piece I think that we did not have last season that I could not have expected was Shedrick. I think Shedrick has been absolutely phenomenal for this team thus far this season. 
right now for our team, he is third in scoring at 11.2 um, points per game. Rebounds, he's tied with Vanderplas at 5.2 rebounds per game. He has 1.6 blocks per game. He's shooting almost 75% from the field. And then even if he's not shooting from the field and hitting those high percentages, he's shooting 85% from the free throw line. So he's also hitting really good free throw numbers as well. And then that's not off of just, oh, he's not getting fouled very often. He's just shooting, I don't know, four or five. He's leading the team in free throws made. So I think that's a huge thing of when you have a big man that can do well and protect the rim, he can score and he's been doing a good job of scoring. And then on top of that, when you foul him, he's going to hurt you from the free throw line as well too. I think that becomes a really, really, really big difference maker. And I think that also allows for us to be able to be more dangerous, taking pressure off the guards. I think guards can be more aggressive on the perimeter, make it tougher on the other team's guards. We're able to switch more. We're able to worry less about how do we protect the rim as often. And I think it just really adds a whole different element to the who's that we had not seen last year. So um, is he our best player? Maybe not. But in terms of how far can we go, I think he has a huge, huge potential to really just impact the team. Almost similar to when we made the switch um, for that 2019 championship, going from Jack Salt to Mamadi Diakite into the lineup. And I think he's offering a similar type of dynamic that Mamadi did. And hopefully um, the ceiling of the 2019 championship can match what we can have for this 2022-2023 season. Yeah, he's definitely looked good so far. And he's also shown that he can shoot the mid-range shots. So, Definitely liking what I'm seeing, and I, I do agree that Caden is taking some exciting leaps so far this year. So, not a bad answer, Kari. Yeah. Another kind of important decision, not an important player, but a player I thought would be important that isn't around this season is uh, the Isaac uh, Trout redshirt. I know we want to take a little bit of time to discuss that. I know we haven't had the chance to break it down fully. I know it's been a while since we last on the podcast, but... Besides the giant wins against Vegas, I think that had been the biggest news leading into that Vegas game. So I think this is a huge, huge piece um, that we need to discuss for this season. I think having Isaac Trout redshirt adds, honestly, an extra element of what do we do going forward and how does this team look and what could this team have been or how did the minutes shake out? Looking back at the roster and how the last few games have played out, I think Isaac Trout's redshirting – won't impact us too much. And from what I've seen, it actually seems like Isaac Trout brought the idea of redshirting and Tony Bennett himself. Um, this day and age of transfers, uh, one and dones, and now you don't even have to sit out a season if you transfer. Um, redshirting seems less and less popular. So it almost seems more of like, well, if I can't get it done here, if I can't crack the court here, I can go elsewhere. So uh, just speaks to his level of maturity, self-awareness, and really drive to get better too. Instead of adding that additional element of shooting or just the skills that he brought to this team. He chose, I want to get stronger, work out with uh, coach Curtis and really just bring a whole new element to his game. So sad. We won't get to see him this season. Thought he would have been one of those guys to be a really big surprising player, but looking forward to seeing what he can bring in that 2023, 2024 season. But yeah, Sean, what are your thoughts on the uh, trout red shirt news? Yeah. I mean, so first off, it's definitely, fairly uncommon to see a player this highly rated and regarded end up taking a redshirt year. But I'll also just add that the front court for UVA this year is just very, very deep and loaded. So we've got kind of four regular contributors in Gardner, Shedrick, uh, Vanderplas, and um, Kafaro. So I think that, you know, even if Trout was showing a lot, 
Uh, he is not as experienced in the pack line as those other guys are. Um, and Tony has always mentioned that, you know, bigger guys take a little bit longer to come along and mature and develop. So I think that needs to be taken into consideration. Um, I also think that, as you said, uh, the, the rumor is that he kind of uh, suggested the idea to Tony Bennett um, himself. And I think that is definitely a good sign. You know, I think a lot of people on Twitter when this first came out, we're kind of jumping to knee jerk reactions and we're all worried that, Oh, like, you know, Trout's not going to be happy about this. He might transfer out, you know, kind of how we've seen some other players that didn't get early playing time transfer out from UVA, but it definitely seems that Trout has a good head on his shoulders is taking the long-term approach. Um, definitely seems that he's bought in and it doesn't seem that he's discouraged by this. Um, so, yeah, I take this uh, decision kind of as a, as a positive. Um, I think that next year there will be a lot more opportunity for Trout to play right away. Um, we're, we're graduating a lot of uh, people in the front court. So I think, you know, Vanderplas, Cafaro, um, and Gardner are all going to be leaving next year. So I think Trout will be stepping into the potential to play a lot of minutes next year. So I think it's probably good for his – his long-term growth. Um, and I also think I've seen a lot that I like from the front court this year without him to the point where I feel pretty confident about it, uh, despite him not uh, featuring as part of the rotation this year. So while I, I understand maybe the disappointment and not getting to see Trout, um, I think that some of the initial um, pessimism of this decision voiced by the UVA fan base uh, was probably overblown, and I think that in the long run, this is a good thing. Yeah, hopefully that's the case. Just so I won't get to see four seasons of Isaac Squared. Now we get three of it. Uh, I know Isaac Squared was the recruiting pitch that all the fans and even the guys themselves were calling for. So Isaac Squared broken up temporarily, but looking forward to getting I Isaac Squared back for next year. But speaking of importance for the program, importance for the players, and importance for it, let's uh, close out on a fun one. So. Me and Sean posted a poll recently about what was the most important loss in UVA's recent history. Um, UVA has seen some great success over the last decade, dating back to 2013-2014 season. Um, we've had a lot of really great players come through. And we've had a lot of really great seasons and accolades. But a lot of times what happens is losses are required for us to make transitions or changes. So we put it out there for what do people see as the most important loss. Some of the options were uh, – the loss to Tennessee back in the 2013-2014 season, the infamous loss to UMBC in the 2018 NCAA tournament, the blowout to Florida in the NCAA round of, I believe it was 32 that we lost for that one, and then also the Elite Eight loss that uh, Sean identified as his toughest Wahoo moment. So, Sean, I know we didn't necessarily talk about it too much, so I actually don't know what you voted for, or even if you did vote on the poll at all, but... If you had to pick a loss, which one would you say was the most important for the program and why we've been seeing all these recent successes um, and just what's your take on it? Yeah, so I have to go with the Tennessee loss myself. Um, you know, I think there's a lot, of, uh, a, a lot of tales that are told about this and, you know, it, it might be a bit uh, overplayed a bit, but there's, of course, the famous story that, after the Tennessee loss, which was like 87-52, total blowout, 
it was like right before New Year's in that 2013-2014 season. Anyways, there's a famous story that uh, Joe Harris drove over to uh, Coach Bennett's house on New Year's Eve night, uh, kind of voicing his displeasure with how the season was going so far. And for whatever reason, that seems to have really been a catalyst to uh, turning that season around. And the reason I feel that it's the most important loss is we would go on to uh, finish 16-2 and in ACC play that year. Um, it was the year that we beat Duke in the ACC championship game. And uh, it just really seemed to kind of be a turning point in the tra- trajectory of the UVA program. Uh, in that season and even the year before, UVA was seen as a team with a lot of potential, but it wasn't really clear if they were really going to put it all together. And, um, you know, for the most part, ever since that uh, that game and that season, we've really been one of the most consistent uh, top programs in the country for going on eight years or so now. And so it just really feels like that that was a, a significant turning point. Um, of, of really like capitalizing on our potential and really uh, arriving on the national stage. So I would have to go with that Tennessee loss. Yeah. And I think, I think that's what I voted for as well. Um, so just to be different from you and not go with the Tennessee loss, I think another important one that I'm surprised did not get any votes really was the Florida NCAA tournament loss, another giant blowout. And almost in my mind, that blowout to Florida was more of like a changing of regimes. So if you look back at it, I believe when we lost to Florida, so 65-39, that was the end of the 2016-2017 tournament. Um, We had a lot of different guys. We had Austin Nichols on that team. This was early on with Kyle Guy. We had Jared Reuter, London Perantes, Devin Hall, Mariel Shayok, Mamadi Diakite was on that team, Jack Salt, uh, Ty Jerome, I'm just going down some of the like leading scores we had from that season, but that team was just, uh, I don't want to say all over the place, but just a lot of different people, a lot of different places that everyone could go. Um, Isaiah Wilkins is on that team. And I believe after that loss, we lost Isaiah Wilkins. We lost Austin Nichols early on. I think he played maybe two games for us total. And that was a big, big win for us getting that transfer, but, uh, lost Shayok, I believe that off season to the transfer portal. Um, Lost London Perantes to graduation. We may have, I don't know if we lost Darius Thompson. We may have lost him, but either way from that roster, we lost a lot of people. And then that actually led us into the 2017, 2018 season where we started actually unranked. We started that season unranked and then won our first eight games, lost to West Virginia, went on to win. I believe I'm looking at about 18 to 23. So 15 game win streak lost against Tech in overtime, and then we did not lose again until the infamous UMBC loss. But I think that Florida loss was almost the coming of a second regime where we were able to go from, all right, we got to figure this out. We had all the puzzle pieces. We had all the momentum. We had the tough losses to Michigan State in the NCAA tournament, the tough losses throughout the time, tough loss to Syracuse. Now what do we do after the – I think, yeah, Florida – Florida came right after Syracuse. He had the Elite Eight upset, then a Florida blowout. So I think it was kind of like a, where's the program going to go from here? And then we just built it up. Obviously, it came in number one overall seed. The sad tail blues into UMBC. 
and then from there come back to the national championship. The UMBC loss, I think, sticks out as a huge one for winning that championship the very next year. But I think almost that season after Florida was a big turning point of like, no, UVA basketball is still here to stay. This was not a temporary half decade, but this is actually going to be something that is going to have longevity to it. We're going to continue to get in the right guys. We're going to get the right transfers, transfer out the guys that don't want to buy in, and then make sure that we continue to keep things going forward. So I would say that's probably the biggest loss, in my opinion, just to debate you. My rec- my real answer would be Tennessee, but just to debate you on this and give a different take, I would go with uh, Florida as my second pick. But I know it's Saturday. I know we have some big games coming up in terms of the CFP. This is a basketball podcast, but as sports fans, we still want to make sure we know what's going on in the rest of the sports world. So Sean, after five games, all you've seen, all we have on the floor, what is your flash take on this team's ceiling? Let's get out of here after these. Man, I I think our ceiling is we're national contenders. I mean, I don't want to, you know, get too excited, but we have as good of a resume as anybody this year. So I think we're definitely Final Four capable as we've as we've seen so far this year. And, yeah, I couldn't be more excited about things how things are going so far. Couldn't agree more. After UNC looking shaky, Gonzaga taking some tough L's. Um, everyone else around us taking losses too. Right now, I'm going to say Final Four contender. If we beat Houston, come um, that game in JPJ in a few weeks, um, we'll upgrade us to a national champion, uh, or we should be in that talk about who should be national champions. But awesome. That's cover it for today. Um, for everyone that listens, thank you so much for supporting the podcast. Um, me and Sean are having a great time doing this, and we're glad to hear some of the positive remarks. Just a quick shout-out to uh, some of the positive feedback we got from people directly. Um, ben Griffin, uh, Who's Got Next, uh, both of our parents, uh, and just friends all around, and then just anyone that gave the pod a listen in Texas directly telling us how much they appreciate it or what they like. So thanks for the listens. Thanks for the support, and looking forward to doing more of these for you guys. So have a great day, and as always, go Who's. Go Who's.